one verse, and it's a rather short verse. We'll read it twice together on my, my uh, instruction. First, John chapter 5, verses, verse 21, and reading in unison twice. Ready? Begin. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Once more. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. May God have his blessings in the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take these seven words and speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, evidently it was important that you put this in Scripture for your little children to keep ourselves from idols. Lord, I pray that you'd bless and give unction, Holy Spirit of God, as only you can do. Speaking to the hearts of every Christian this morning, we pray, and we'll be sure to praise you for what you're going to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name, for his sake, amen. You may be seated. 37th message in 1 John. I think we can say it without even looking at it, but just in case, we'll read it once, and then we'll look up once, and let's say it together, all right? So let's read it once. Here we go. Let's read it together. Ready? Here we go. 1 John chapter 5. Excuse me. Let me get there. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Ready? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Look up. Ready? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. What a way to end the book. What a way to end this epistle. I was thinking of some other books in the Bible that end in a strange way, and it seems like random way, if I could use some modern uh, uh, language, of course. Little children, keep yourself some idols. It kind of reminds me of Jonah. You need not turn there, but the last verse of Jonah always intrigued me. It says, and should I not spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than 6,000, six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand. No problem with that, but the last four words are, and also much cattle. I always thought, why did God put that in the Bible? Also much cattle. What, what's that all about? I have no idea. But there must be a reason why God put that there. And there must be a reason, and I think we're going to explore these reasons here in a few moments here. Why did God end this book that talks about no, K-N-O-W, some 23 times, the word abide a number of times, the word love many a times, the word confidence many a times. But here... It uses this word, the only time in the whole book we find this word in the 105th verse, the final verse of the book, we see this word idols, idolon, found nine times in the New Testament. The only time it's found, of course, in 1 John is in this little seven-word verse. Let's say it one more time together. Ready? Here we go. Ready? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Now, being the fact that it says little children, I think we know, we've looked at other messages to know that this verse is talking to Christians. God ends this incredible book with this statement, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let me give you today's in-your-face truth, as we call it. Simplistic and yet hopefully profound and just to the point. What is this verse teaching us this morning, amongst other things? What's the central truth? Well, I think it would be boiled down to a sentence or two, and here it is. When things, when things take God's place in our lives, we are guilty of idolatry. Let me say that again. When things take place in our lives, 
or take, take, excuse me, takes God's place in our lives, we are guilty of idolatry. Whatever controls our lives and calls the signals is our God. One more time. Whatever controls our life and calls the signals or calls the shots, no pun intended with my last name, is our God. What controls your life this morning? What, what calls your place in your life? What are the things in your life that take place of God in your life? I want to give you here the supposition three-fold outline, if you will. The first question we have to ask is this. Why the last verse of 1 John? Why do we see this, what seems to be random verse, this out of the blue, unattached thought to the rest of the book? Not so, but what it seems like. The book ends, this great epistle ends with this 105th verse, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Why? Well, I think there's four reasons. Let me give you the first quickly. I think the first reason why this book ends with this seven-word admonition, the seven-word command, is because first-century Christians were surrounded by idols. All around them were idols. The temple of Artemis, or the temple of uh, Diana, as it was called, if we can, I don't know if we can get that on the screen or not, but show an artist's rendition of that, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. If we were to turn to Acts chapter 19, and time does not permit, but Paul is in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 on the western shore of what we know of today as modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor. And uh, this is the Asiatic Roman capital of the world, this city of Ephesus, this great city. And one of the seven ancient wonders was this temple of Diana. Thank you, fellas. And this temple, they, his uh, archaeologists uh, uh, believe it was some 420 foot long, some 127 foot wide. Those pillars uh, uh, were some, they believe they were 60 feet tall, 124 of them, I believe it was. In the center of this was the goddess Diana, was built originally, it was several hundred years of building actually two different temples on this site. Of course, there's archaeological remains. I'd love to go someday to Asia Minor and Turkey. Probably won't get there, but I'd like to get there and see these ruins, these relics. And the goddess Diana was worshipped as the fertility god of the heavens and the earth. She was mother god, mother of the fertility god of both the humans and of animals and of plants. In Croesus, the king, of course, uh, as much money or much silver and gold as Croesus is a little saying, of course, and he... Um, was the operating, uh, made the operating funds available to build this great temple. And for hundreds of years, it was a place of worship. And it was a place of temple prostitution as well as uh, other acts of immorality. And we read about Ephesus and this temple of Diana in Acts chapter 19. You need not turn there. Let me just read you to the verses. But Paul goes in and does a bad, very bad thing as far as these idolaters are concerned. People are getting converted to Jesus Christ and turning away from their, their idols, their pagan idols. And the scriptures record verse 26 of Acts 19, allow me to read. Moreover, ye see and hear that not, on, not alone at Ephesus, but also throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that there be no gods which are made with hands. And to that I say amen. So that not only this, our own craft is in danger to be set at naught or be brought to nothing, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. 
and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. worshipeth. And when they had heard the, these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the Bible goes on to say, For two hours they screamed at the top of their lungs, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. The greatest is Diana of Ephesus or Aramaeus. They worshiped this pagan god so much so their, their livelihood was attached to this pagan god. These Christians in AD 85 or so when this book was written were just drenched, not only engulfed in, in idol, idols throughout the Roman Empire, but even in their own Israel, Palestine, even the Romans had, of course, annexed and invaded and, of course, had taken over even in the Jews' holy land, and there were idols by the thousands and tens of thousands all over the place. So I think that this was written because John was writing to people that were infected with idols all around them. But secondly, they were surrounded by idolaters. Not only were there idols, but there were plenty of people that were worshiping these idols. Uh, Idolaters, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 1 or verse 2 says, Thus saith the Lord, I, I... or learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the heathen are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are vain. And then verses 3 through really verse 8 of Jeremiah 10 begins to describe idol making. And it says, and I just read one verse for time's sake, For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. He goes on and makes an idol of his hands, of his, and, uh, of his sweat and blood and toil from a stone or from, from a tree. God says, I hate idolaters, rather, excuse me, uh, by the way, uh, I, God hates idolatry and idolaters hate God. Revelation 21 verse 8 gives a list of people that will not be in heaven will be suffering the second death. There's a list of eight names. It says, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God does not speak kindly about idolatry and idolaters. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 9 He says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. And he gives a list of a few more, and then he says this, shall inherit the kingdom of God. So John ends this epistle with these words because... I think for one reason, these first century Christians were surrounded by idols. Certainly they were surrounded by, and they grew up, and they had in their own family, idolaters. And God hates idolatry, and hates idolaters. But then I want you to notice, thirdly, I think a third reason as we peruse and consider, why did this epistle of 1 John end with these seven words? Well, I think thirdly, because God knows that from the time of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, it's a common temptation. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent, the devil came to Eve with the temptation of becoming a god herself. He said, for the day that, day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt, uh, uh, you should be as gods, knowing good and evil. 
the temptation. And when Eve saw that it was the tree was for good for good to the eyes and a tree full of knowledge, she took thereof and did eat. And Adam, her husband, did take and did, did eat thereof. The eyes of them both were opened. They, like their father, in this case, their new adopted father, who was, you see, we go from adoption from the devil to the adoption of the heavenly father, those that are in Christ Jesus. But they went from the adoption of the father, Jehovah God, to the adoption of the devil. The Bible says the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked. You see, they became of their father, the devil. And the Bible says in regards to this devil, that, uh, or rather in regards to this common temptation, in 1 Corinthians 12, 2, the New Testament Christians are, are admonished not to go after the, be carried away with the same dumb idols, that's the phrase, the same, these dumb idols as the Gentiles were, were led. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols even as you were led. And so this temptation can come to all of us if we listen to the voice of the devil, the God of the small g, the God of this world, that leads me to a fourth reason, and I think the most specific reason. Why, was, why is this verse, the last verse of the epistle of 1 John, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Well, I think that, and no pun intended, but verse 21 follows, or succeeds the verse 20 on purpose. That verse 21 is in the context of verse 20. Now follow me. You see, in fact, read, read, fill in the worksheet you that like to fill in the blanks there. As the first two commandments, I'm referring to the Ten Commandments, 1 John 5.21 is inseparable. It's inseparable with verse number 20. Look at verse 20 to begin with. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding, that we know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. He's the true God. He's the real God. Now let's go back, at least in our minds, to Exodus chapter 20, the Decalogue, the giving of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, the Bible says, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The first commandment is, no other gods but the one and only true God of heaven. But what is the second commandment? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image of anything that's in earth or anything that's in heaven or above the earth or, uh, uh, or, or that is under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I am the Lord thy God, I am a jealous, jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments." Just as the first commandment of the Decalogue is connected inseparably with the second commandment, so likewise, verse 20 is inseparably connected with verse 21, the true God, we shall worship the true God who is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, greatest mystery of God and as God was manifested in the flesh, the third person of the, the, the Trinity, the, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the, God the, excuse me, the second person of the, what we say the Trinity, the great mystery of mysteries. We should worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou worship, and will not make any graven images. And so we see this 
question, why did, why is 1 John 5, 21, the last seven words of this book? Well, I think the answer is now given, but I want you to notice, let's define, if we could, secondly this morning, what is the definition of idolatry? We haven't even really given a definition yet. Well, the word idol there, the word idol is the Greek word, and it's a, not only a translation, it's a, what we call a transliteration, like the word angels, the word angelos, the word apostles, the word apostolos. This is the word idolon. And it means image worship or divine honor paid to any, here's the catch word, created object. To any created object made with our hands. And it's the origin of Idolatry is described in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Let me read it to you. The Bible says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible, uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men. There's a reason why, yes, this is the Baptist church, and there's a reason why we have clear windows on our sides, not stained glass windows. The reason is clear windows are cheaper than stained glass windows. No, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. Well, actually, they are too. That's not, not a tease. That's true too. But I've been in many churches. They have stained glass windows and not that there's anything wrong with stained glass windows in and of themselves, but I've seen many stained glass windows in many different churches that have idols or icons, and I've been in churches, especially in, if I could be a little bit more pinpointed, in Canada, in Quebec, Canada. I remember going to uh, Quebec and city and to Montreal and visiting some great edifices, cathedrals, and seeing folks by the hundreds in many of these great cathedrals lighting candles and bowing down to an idol whether well, stained glass or an idol or an image, and worshiping and praying, God says, I don't want you. He says, their foolish hearts were darkened and they, they turned God into a God of uh, corruptible, into an image of corruptible man. Now, John 4.24 says that God is a what? Do you know it? Spirit. And they that worship him must what? Worship him in spirit and in truth. John 1 reminds us that... Uh, no man has seen God at any time. I know we have 1 Timothy 3.16, Behold, greatest mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. I get that, and you get that too. We accept that by faith. The express image of his majesty, as Hebrews 1 says. But God is a spirit, and he's not formed in any, he's not formed in any, he's not confined to a, to a bottle or to an to a image or to an icon of any sorts. God says that's an abomination and back in Romans chapter 1. The Bible goes on to say that they, they turned the image of God into a, the, the uncorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I told the 815 class crowd I wasn't going to say this in 1030 because I didn't want to be offensive, but I feel like saying it anyhow, so I'm going to say it again. 
I hesitate. I'm going to make somebody mad. I don't know who I'm going to make mad. I'm not trying to make you mad, but I'm going to make somebody mad probably, maybe a few somebodies. You know, over the years I've had people come to me and, you know, we have pets. We have pet dogs. We have pet cats. We have pet hamsters. We have pet goats. People have pet, pet pigs. But I'm not trying to be funny on such a serious subject, but it's kind of, if it wasn't so sad, it would be funny. I've known people that have had pet, I hope you haven't had one of these, pet snakes. I, over the years, I've seen pictures. Well, let me get really serious. Of attenders of our church, even. Okay, I, I'm, I'm digging my hole. Might as well just keep digging. Ladies, women, females. It's bad enough for a male. It's, it seems to me more grotesque for a female. But I've seen pictures with women with snakes wrapped around their neck. When I think of a snake, I think of many times Genesis chapter 3. I think of the serpent that beguiled Eve. Now, pardon me, I'd like to try and lighten things up again. I, I know some people that have had pet lizards. I don't care for lizards, but I can handle a lizard. But snakes I have an issue with. And it's interesting, these people that have pet snakes, not all of them, I'm sure, but many of them, they love those snakes. Now, I can't get funny. Something seems strange to me about that. Uh, I, something seems weird to me. Something seems, seems idolistic to me. The Bible goes on to say in Romans 1, it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do, do those things which are not convenient or proper. I don't think it's proper. You just call me old-fashioned, call me anti-biblical, call me whatever you want, but I don't think it's proper to put snakes around your neck. I don't think it's proper. Let me give you four forms of variants of idolatry quickly. Number one is fetishism. I didn't bother putting it in the fill in the blank for you because it's too hard a word to spell. But it's the worship of trees, rivers, stones, etc. The bumper sticker I've seen on many a people's car from the wise Indian, supposedly. We do not, the earth does not belong to us. You see, to the I'm a conservationist. I'm not an environmentalist, by the way. I am a conservationist. I'm a conservative. I believe we ought to take care of our earth. I have no problem with that. In fact, that's a good thing to do. The Bible teaches that. Conservation. But the, the bumper sticker reads, the earth does not belong to us. We belong to the earth. We'll go back to the earth because we come from our mother. And we'll go back to our mother. And there's many people that believe that. I doubt, but there could be even in this room someone that believes that, hey, when I die, I'm going to be six feet under and I'm going to be cremated and I'm going to go back to the ashes and dust to dust. That's your hope. That's what you have to look forward to. That's it. Fetishism. Another variant of idolatry is that of nature worship. Similar but different. It's the worship of the sun, the moon, the stars, and supposed powers of nature, the Greeks and the Romans, and of course the Babylonian uh, mythology and, of course, uh, paganism. Of course, all believed that you had Jupiter, Saturn, Venus, Earth, or rather Mars, and all the different gods and goddesses of the, of the universe. They all were, and, and people worship 
I believe in astronomy. I don't believe in astrology. Uh, I believe that, uh, that God put the stars in the purpose to give him glory, not to, to be worshipped. And by the way, Christian, let me just be real practical, try to be real simplistic that you might get this. Before we became a Christian, we might have talked about and we were inculcated and we heard the words and we believed and we, we talked the same language as the unsaved around us. We talked about, we look outside and we see the beauty of nature and we say, didn't Mother Nature do a wonderful job? And apostate churches from 100 years plus back, they have a marriage like Jupiter and Diana married and, and were, they had offspring, the goddess of fertility. Well, in pagan churches, you have Mother Nature and Father God and they came together. And yes, there's more to that involved than, than what I'm, yes, I'm, I'm inferring something else as well. An unholy mixture Father God did wonderful work with Mother Nature. Really. That's idolatry 101. That's paganism 101. That's not Bible. And all God's people said, I hope you understand this. Before you were saved, I've had many Christians and we've had members of our church. And now, don't you won't make this mistake with me now ever again, I'm sure. I've had good, well meaning, born again, saved Christians, got born again, believe the Bible. They still, they still, from time to time, they say, Wow, isn't Mother Nature beautiful? No, my God is beautiful. He made a beautiful nature, nature scene. And so I do not worship in any form of idolatry, fetishism, or nature worship, or thirdly, hero worship. I'll get off this quick because this is where it starts getting close to home. But this is the worship or prayers to deceased ancestors. Praying to that, that loved one that's gone on before us. Praying that maybe they'll... Uh, give merit to heaven and we'll go see them and pray to them. Pray to some heroes of times past. And that hero worship and young people listen to me and I say, young people, here's a guy that's approaching 60 and of course and already knows that uh, inadvertently I, as a young person, I had, my, I had my posters in my bedroom as a kid. I had my, sorry you Yankee fans and you Boston Red Sox fans, I had Cleveland Indians on my wall. I know, that's pretty bad. I get it. I understand. The Browns, the Brownies. I was for the winners. <laughs> some of you don't even follow. Some of you don't even know, don't care. Hero worship. We make these gods and goddesses or these, these people, these mere mortals, superstars. And it used to be the commercial, I want to be like Mike. Now I want to be like the king or whoever you want to be like. But fourthly, let me, I'm, let me move forward. Let me give you what I believe is probably the most common form today of idolatry. And the most common form today, and the most, probably the most, I don't think hardly anybody in this room could be guilty of, probably is guilty of fetishism, or hopefully not nature worship, or hopefully not hero worship, but I think most of us fall into this trap. Remember, this idolatry is deceptive, that's why John ended his epistle to his little children, to the children of God. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols because there's a danger. And so probably the most common form of idolatry is that of self-worship or self-deification. In Isaiah 14, verse 12, the Bible says about Lucifer, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? 
For thou hast said in thine heart, there's where it begins. Idolatry always begins in the heart. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Self-deification, self-promotion, self-worship. I'm going I'm to be the master of my fate, the, the captain of my own destiny, my own life. And I dare say, and that leads me to my third, third and final point, and there's many more. Because we could go on for a long time, but we're going to try to be concise here this morning here and give three. Why or when we commit idolatry when we do one of three things. In the wide world, see, within these one of three things. First of all, we commit idolatry. We're guilty of a form of self-worship when we, when we love or adore. Hang on, don't get mad at me. When we love or adore another person more than we love God. Well, let's get a few amens out of this. I hope we get some amens. How many love your spouse? Say amen. 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 Uh, a lot of you are not married, so okay. I get that. How many love your children? Say amen. amen. Now, how many love your grandchildren? Say amen. amen. That's my particular right now. Days gone by. When we love or adore another person more than we love God, according to the word of God, we're committing adult idolatry. You say, wow, that's tough. Well, listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the rich young ruler came to him in Mark chapter 12, he asked, Master, what's the great, greatest commandment? And Jesus answered him and said, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Again, in Luke 14, verse 26, Jesus said, If any man come unto me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Strong words, but God will share his love or God will uh, want to have first place in our love life and love him more supremely than anyone else or anything else in the whole world. That includes our spouse. Includes our children, includes our grandchildren. I've heard many of people say, and it's endearing when they say it, and I, 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 I give them a pass because I know I think they're just saying it out of, out of love, maybe out of blind love, but I, I've heard men say about their wife, oh, I worship the ground she walks on. I know what they're saying. They're saying, I love my wife. I've heard women say the same thing. Oh, I, 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 love, I love that man more than anything else in the whole world. I know what that woman is trying to say. She loves her husband. Thank you. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But we need to check ourselves. You know, I just, I got to give a personal illustration, and I, I've done it so many times, but uh, in all seriousness, I'm very sober, and it's not meant to be funny at all. But uh, yes, in case you don't know what, I do love my grandchildren, yeah, for the 848th time. I love all 12 of them. I'm hoping my girls will be, continue to be fertile and will give us about 20 more. You laugh, but I'm serious. <laughs> I love my grandchildren. I love them so much that I have to put myself in check. 
from time to time. They did not become an idol of my life. God could take them away. I don't want that to happen. So, I don't want to worship them. And they're going to have to live their own life for the Lord. Grandpa can pray for them. and can help guide them. But they're going to have to live it. God will share his glory with no man, including the grandkids, including the wife, including the sibling. Then I want you to notice, not only we commit adultery when we love or adore another person more than we love God, but secondly, I think we're guilty, in fact, I don't think we're guilty, I know we're guilty of idolatry when we love the unreal or I could give you a second, second substitutionary word, the word temporal, when we love the unreal more than the real. You see, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, I've got like six subpoints underneath this, but we didn't have room on the worksheet to put them on, so let me just give them rapid fire. We are guilty when we love this temporal world. Listen, I'm not, when I preach at you and I point my finger, remember I always have three point back at me. This is just a sinful man talking to the other sinful people about what God's word says. And I've been guilty many times so the same things that you've been guilty of and for all of us to come short of the glory of God. And I, there's things I like. I'll just, I'm just confessing. We've been to Disney World three times. I like Disney World. I know I'm not supposed to like Disney World, but I really like Disney World. I like Epcot. I like the Magic Kingdom. I even like the little, it's a small, small world after all. I like that right now. I like them all. I can't help it. I'm sorry. It's my, it's pleasing to the eyes. It's pleasant to the experience. It's pleasurable. I like the world. But 1 John 2 reminds us, and the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. How much of the love of the world do you have in you this morning, Christian? I just confessed some things I like in the world, but I don't want to have the world in, in me. There's the love of the world, the temporal love of the world. Then there's the love of somebody. Somebody told me, in fact, you're in this room this morning here. I won't pick on you who you are. But so one of you people said to me this week, Pastor, now I, here I go, I'm puning myself again. I should pun you more than pun me, but I'm puning me again. You love money. And I says, you know, I guess I do love money. I admit it. I mean, I'd rather have, hey, what would you rather have for the world? Would you rather, here's one. Would you rather have a billion people be billionaires or a billion people have nothing? Well, you're awfully quiet. I'd rather have a billion people be billionaires. I figure I might get a little residual income from that. Why would I want to have a billion people have nothing? Huh? I don't get that. You know, money. Bible says in Colossians 3, 5, and hey, you know, it's better to live with money than without money, I promise you. Colossians 3, 5, the Bible says that covetousness is idolatry. I like, you may not be able to tell it by this suit, but I went home, uh, but I like nice suits. Now, I'm, I'm a, I'm a uh, K&G men's store guy. 
you know, two suits for $200, you know, that's, that's what I am. Now, I'm not, this not a political statement, or just, but, uh, you know, I saw a guy, you know, this, this guy named Manafort right now, he's, he's, uh, they're, they're trying him, and they, he spent over the period of like five years $947,000 on suits. I said, wow, that's pretty good. And ninth, I mean, you've got to buy some expensive suits. But the love of money, I, I admit, I like nice, you know, the fact is, I like nice everything. I like nice cars. I like nice houses. I like nice gardens. And I like nice lawns. I like nice church buildings. I like nice, I, I'm just a kind of a nice guy. I like everything nice. I don't like crummy. But if I'm not careful, I can, you know, I've had, for, for you, I've made people mad about this. You know, we had somebody, uh, somebody told me years ago, I had my Cadillac sitting on the, the uh, I drive a Cadillac. My sixth Cadillac I've had. Okay, here's the truth. I've never paid over $8,000 for a Cadillac in my life. Most Cadillacs have paid $3,000 or $4,000. But I, I want people to think that they're a $30,000 Cadillac or a $50,000 would be nice. I want to fool them. But they're really cheap cars. But I said, I'm done with Cadillacs. I've had six of them I want to upgrade. I want to go to something where, see, a Cadillac you get to go down into and then you got to get up out of. I want to hire vehicles that I can slide out of when I, because uh, I have a lot more to slide out now. So I want to upgrade. Now, pardon me, I'm having too much fun with you, I suppose. But the God of money. What do we want? Rich, it was, of course, it was Rockefeller, John D., I believe it was, that said, asked him, uh, how much money does it take to make a rich man happy? And the answer was, just a little bit more than you already have. Ever working and never coming to the, the goal. The goal post always changes. There's the love of the temporal world, the love of the God of money, the God of education. Oh, I could park there for a while, but some of you might get mad at me. I'm all for education, but I'm not for an education that takes my heart away from God. I believe the Bible more than I believe the psychiatry or psychology of this world. I believe the Bible when it comes to, uh, when the Bible speaks on science, I'll believe the Bible on science. You say, you really believe that ark and that God created an ark? And yeah, yeah, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. I believe in an ark and I believe in a young earth and I believe the Bible. And I think true science bears out. I don't think I know it bears out with the Bible. I'm not going to bow to the, God, the idolatrous God of education or the idolatrous God of money or the idolatrous God of sports or about the idolatrous God of pleasure. 2 Timothy 3, 2. I'm going to tell you, I was with eight pastors yesterday. I met one of the uh, candidates running for, talked to one of the candidates running for governor of the state of Connecticut yesterday. Talked to a state treasurer that's running for state treasurer. Maybe tell you more about that tonight. Just yesterday, I met with them, but I met with these pastors, and we were talking pastors' talk and so forth. And we're living in the age of pleasure, the Laodicean age as never before. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous. The Bible says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And the Bible goes on to say, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You can make pleasure. I've said, I say it every summer. I'll say it again for the 118th time. Go on vacation. Have a vacation. 
Just don't vacate from God. Get in the house of God. Go to Maine, go to Florida, go to wherever you go, but don't annex yourself from God. Don't put your vacation and your pleasures above the, the, the preeminence of serving Jesus Christ. Get in the, God's house. Leads me to two more subpoints, and I'm, we'll finish up here. But some people, this unrealistic, this, un, this temporary idolatry that instead of choosing the real, true, eternal God of heaven can lead us to the God of, uh, uh, the idolatrous God of fame and of popularity. Or how about this last one I have written down here, and this is, uh, I think, a very pertinent one today, and there are a lot of people that should hear this that won't hear this this morning because they're not in God's house. But how about the God of apathy or self-centeredness? Do you know how many times I've heard as a pastor for these last 33 years, a number of people say in one variant or form or another this statement. Now, you will never say this to me again after I tell you the statement. But here's the statement I've heard more times than I have fingers and toes several times over. Uh, the statement is like this. Preacher, you know, I know I should come to church and I, 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 uh, I'm going to try to eventually get to church, but, uh, man, I work six days a week and I only have one day a week to rest. And it's Sunday. That's my day of rest. That's my day to catch up. Did it ever dawn on you that God already gave you, gave you seven days? That, that God gives you every day, this is the day the Lord has made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. That God gives you every day that you have, every day is a gift from God. And he gives you six days to do your own thing. And one day he gives you to come and come apart and rest a while. Did it ever dawn on you that God gives you 100% of your wealth that you have? Not 10%, he gives you 100%. He lets you keep 90%, Christian. And he says, you can keep it all. It's mine, but I want you to keep it and, and uh, be a good steward of it. And uh, you give me 10. No, you know, see, you know what that is? It's a form of self-worship, self-promotion, self-deification. It's all about me. I'm going to go on my vacations as much as I want to go on vacation, and I'm going to vacate from God. He knows I deserve it. I have to sleep in. Uh, after all, I worked so hard all week long. I can't give. You know, my bills are so high. Me, me, me. We have a, we're living in the me generation. It leads me to the last truth, number three. When we give, we commit idolatry, when we give first place in our time, to something other than the kingdom of God. We commit idolatry when we give first place in our time to something other than the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, You can quote it with me. But seek ye what? First. On August 4th, or this is the 5th, isn't it? August 5th, 2018, I'm going to tell you all across America, there are millions of Christians, I'm just going to say it, they're not a seeking God first, they're seeking God second, third, if it's, if, if, if it's convenient. They're seeking God in his house this morning. There's millions upon millions of Christians that are home this morning still sleeping in or going to be mowing their lawn here or maybe they're mowing their lawn or they're doing whatever they've got to do because they are committing a form of spiritual idolatry themselves, self-deceptive idolatry. They're putting themselves first. And the great... I stole this title from the great Vance Havner, preacher of 40-some years ago, the Southern Baptist preacher. 
He preached from the text, Luke chapter 9, verses 59 to 62. Let me just give it to you quickly. And the Lord said, one came to the Lord and said, follow me. And the Lord said unto him, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me or allow me first to go and bury my father. Seems like a reasonable request. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my house, or at home in my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Mark it down. Idolatry is when we put ourselves first. And get the statement down right. God never comes next. You see, our Christianity is a convenient Christianity. Our Christianity is okay if it fits us. And if it's convenient, if everything else is all taken care of, then and maybe then I'll give the Lord some, some of his due. So here's the truth to know. Oh, I know, hey, this is a tough message this morning. The book ends on a tough verse. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Whatever you love most, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and all mind and all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment. Whatever you love most, serve most, seek out most, worship most. Now park there for one moment. The word worship. Who, who remembers? I've done this. This is for you old timers. Real quickly. What's the word worship? The Greek word for worship. Anybody know? Anybody remember? Okay, no, that's, the teacher failed. No problem. Well, let me give it to you again. The Greek word for worship, it's found 50 times, I believe, in our New Testament. I love the word. It's the word proskunio. Now, let me translate that for you. Pros, of course, the prefix. Fall down. But cuneo, you know what that word is? That's the word for dog. Yeah. Proskunio. The word worship in the New Testament means literally to lick or to lap like a dog. A dog's an unclean animal. It's that dog of yours who you love and he loves you or she loves you, whatever the case is. So he'll get down on his little behind or her behind and he'll, that little dog, and sometimes it's a big dog. You'll hold out that, your hand and that dog will lick or lap your, your hand and most of you, you don't want to admit it, but you do it. You put your face right down there and you let him lick you and kiss you, don't you? Yes, you do. You know you're lying if you don't tell me you're different. Because you love that dog. And that's the only way that dog can say, I love you. Worship. The word worship. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou worship. He doesn't need our worship. For some reason, reason he desires it. And we can, we can give it us dogs, pardon the language. Jesus said it's not proper to cast your, the bread into dogs, yet he did. And whatever you worship the most and care about most, one more time, whatever you love most, serve most, seek out most, worship most, and care about most is your God. We just get done reading that Jesus Christ is the true, the real God and eternal life. And then 1 John ends with the injunction of the Holy Spirit of God. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And then he punctuates it. Amen. And all God's people said.
Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, help us to remember these seven words long after we forget the message and the specifics. Help us to keep ourselves from idols, especially that idol of self-gratification, self-glorification, self-deification, self-worship, putting ourselves ahead of you. Oh, God, forgive us. May we keep ourselves from idols. Amen. Heavenly Father, bless in these moments of invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. May you be glorified. Amen. May you stand together. Let's take our hymn book this morning and turn to page number.